You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Grey Cup B, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! And thanks for pressing play on this episode of the Two and Out CFL podcast. I'm Travis Curra, and joining me today is CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi. Randy, thanks so much for taking the time today. Great to be with you, Travis. Now, we are about a week removed from the 2023 edition of Touchdown Atlantic. How would you rate this year's event in Halifax? Yeah, I think by every measure, it was a spectacular success. You know, just, uh, you know, the we received an incredibly warm welcome from, you know, from the region, from, you know, the citizens of Halifax. Uh, St. Mary's did a beautiful job, you know, helping us set up their campus and showcasing St. Mary's, which was great. Uh, you know, again, I could go on and on, but pretty much everything about the event was uh, was spectacular. So we you know, we came home very pleased. I mean, uh, props to everybody for making the event happen. We know what the province of Nova Scotia has gone through since uh, since May. It's been a lot going on there. It has been it has been rough, but now the conversation is renewed. Uh, the tenth team. Where are we at now? It seems like there's a new sense of optimism across Canada and in Halifax or the Maritimes for making this happen. Well, Travis, the, the optimism, I believe, is well is well uh, deserved and well earned. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, and you know, I could I could find a lot of colorful ways to describe this, but we have moved uh, we have moved the ball down. There's been a lot of first downs and. I do think we're, you know, we're either in or closing in on the red zone. But if both of us know uh, this, and all of your listeners know this, uh, if you're down by six and you're uh, you got a minute left to go in the game, and and you're in the red zone, is is really nice. But it doesn't matter unless and until you actually score. And uh, you know, we've got lots of reasons to feel good. We've certainly made a, a lot of. Uh, very strong contacts in the region. There are definitely um, there are definite signs of interest in owning a franchise. Some really strong uh, potential partners for the league are there. The conversations around the potential for a stadium are certainly there, but not done. So we just have to, you know, we came home uh, this week, uh, caught our breath for you know thirty seconds, and now we've started those conversations all over again. You know, so. We're going to push hard and we're going to push as hard as we can until we get to, you know, kind of mid to late fall. And then we'll have to see, you know, whether or not it looks like this is uh, a real opportunity in Atlantic Canada. And uh, if it is, we'll keep pushing. But if it's not, um, you know, we we are going to turn our focus to other communities. And, uh, you know, frankly, I'm very excited about the potential for expansion in Quebec. I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, Quebec uh, is a is a strong province for football, a great football community, and uh, Quebec City could be a tremendous uh, place for CFL football. So, you know, again, we we really like what's happening in Halifax. We've got lots of reasons to feel good about expansion there. 
But at some point, you have to be able to say, um, you know, it's just maybe not the time to make it happen. And you have to, as they say, it's an East Coast, uh, I think it's aligned with East Coast uh, uh, characteristics. You have to fish or cut bait. And uh, and I'm hoping it's going to be fish. Yeah. So say uh, by this fall, it doesn't look like things are going to happen in Atlantic Canada. W- would more neutral site games be on the horizon to maybe test the waters in a Quebec City or other communities like that? Well, we have started those conversations. Interestingly enough, there are there are communities who have put up their hand and asked us if we would consider bringing our touchdown product to uh, to their community. And so the answer is yes. We have uh, right now three different communities that there are various stages of conversation with them about the potential for a touchdown game. So, you know, first of all, it's really good for us. It's really good to expand our markets. It's really good to showcase our game in in other communities. And Canada is uh, is changing. You know, the the size of some of what used to be smaller communities, they're not so small anymore. And they're growing and their profile is changing. So it is, you know, it is with, for us, it's helping to open new potential new opportunities. So uh, Travis, the truth is um, when the phone rings and communities call and are interested in touchdown, we're having those conversations because it's the right thing to do. And uh, it doesn't take away from our conviction that Halifax would be a great place for a CFL team. But as I said, at some point you have to say, okay, maybe if this isn't the time it's going to happen, then we're going to then we're going to take our show on the road and um, and see if we can open doors in other communities. Nothing negative, nothing hostile, you know, nothing forever. But at some point, you have to say it's either you know maybe it's not the right time. But again, we are optimistic. We we think it could happen this time. Lots of really great people are involved in that conversation, which is the most uh, which is the most encouraging sign of all. There are a lot of positives to having a 10th team. Uh, scheduling for 10 is, I'd say, a whole lot easier than scheduling for 9. But I, I do, I ha- and I have heard from a few football fans or would-be schooner fans, if you will, in the Maritimes that just talk about the challenge of being a sports fan or a CFL fan in the Atlantic time zone. Uh, time zones across Canada, we had a little bit of uh, a mix-up today even with that. Now, they, they have said that some of these games, by the time they're halftime, it's it's after midnight. So yeah. it, it's tough to do that. That must present its own set of challenges when trying to uh, accommodate that, a team in Atlantic Canada. Yeah, I would agree uh, with a with a, a caveat. You know, one of the things that I have been exceptionally pleased with is the different approach we have taken to scheduling games now. First of all, uh, a much greater collaboration uh, with our management council, with our team presidents. You know, we went through several sessions with them last year, really looked at how do we open up new potential opportunities. So, for example, adding the Sunday game to our summer lineup has really been very positive. And that has uh, allowed us to uh, think about, you know, putting those games um, on a Sunday afternoon in the West, for example, in the Eastern time zone. And, uh, you know, a four o'clock. So, you know, two weeks ago we were in B.C. We had a four o'clock Pacific time, seven o'clock Eastern. That would be eight o'clock. That'd be eight uh, o'clock Atlantic time. That could work. So, you know, one of the things I have a tremendous confidence in 
is the ability for this league to collaborate with each other. I, uh, the the president count the management council I think is a high functioning group. I'm certainly honored to work with our team presidents, and there's a real willingness to be creative there. So you know, I'm not going to look at time zone being an overwhelming uh, obstacle because I I have so much confidence in our president's ability to think our way around uh, creative solutions. Now, there's a lot of moving pieces in a schedule, stadium availability, the odd number of teams, the three bye weeks. It's, it, it, I don't envy the person that has to put that together every year, although there have been a couple times this season where a team uh, coming off the bye is hosting a team on the Thursday that has to, when we saw it with BC and Winnipeg, a first place uh, showdown, and hey, Props to Winnipeg for what they did Thursday night. But uh, it wasn't the same BC Lions. And some people do attribute that to the schedule. Uh, will that be a consideration going forward to try to limit the short week against the team off the bye? Yeah, well, Travis, I can say this. Look, we try to the best of our ability, and the people that do this uh, work so hard to make sure that the schedule is as fair as it can be. But in the end, uh, scheduling is very challenging. And, and, you know, here's if you want to be heartened, misery loves company. You talk to any of the leagues and they'll tell you they have arguments inside their leagues about scheduling and who got a better deal or a worse deal. You know, one of the challenges we faced is that we don't have ownership of a lot of the facilities we play in. So, you know, we don't have access to every to every date that we would like. That uh, creates limitations on the opportunity for scheduling. So again, Travis, I listen to it all. I hear mm-hmm. it all. I would never want a fan to think that we don't care when uh, you know the schedule. If the if there's a schedule that looks a little uh, a little unfair, I can promise you this. By the time we publish the schedule, we have done everything humanly possible to try to make the schedule as fair and equitable as it possibly can be. And then there are just some there are just some situations that you can't fix for, and uh, and in the end, you know, we have to put a schedule out, and uh, we we know this. We like everybody to be just a little bit unhappy, and if we, <laughs> it, I mean, that's that's the reality, Travis. We try to we we use this measure. We say, is everybody just a little bit unhappy? And if they are, then we know we've done a pretty good job. I guess uh, that's the same for officiating. If both teams are a little bit upset, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. it's fair. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's it's funny, Travis. Interesting talking about officiating, and you know, I I think our crews do an amazing job, and I believe in the moment, you know, there's always that instinct to think, well, our officials are the ones that make mistakes. I've had a habit of keeping a collection of articles uh, relating to all the sports whenever there is a controversy around officiating. And from time to time, I go into that file and I read it and I, and I, and I just remind myself that, you know, there are, uh, there are upset fans and upset teams in every pro sports league on the planet uh, as it relates to, you know, perhaps not getting the calls or the, the call's not going their way. So again, I, I believe our crews do a remarkable job and that's a tough game. It's a tough game to officiate. You got these gigantic human beings and these, uh, these incredibly athletic receivers and they're all going at warp speed 
And you're trying to figure out in, in the midst of all of that chaos, you're trying to make the right call. And, and you know, I'm, as I say, I'm exceptionally proud of the work that our officiating crews do. And I'm really, really proud of Darren Hackwood, our head of officiating. I think he's, Travis, if there's one thing he's done uh, and, and with support from Greg Dick is they are not, um, they're far more open to, to, to acknowledging when they've made a mistake. So that every week a report goes out to our teams and it, uh, it, it highlights areas where there have been mistakes made. And that, that, that atmosphere of mea culpa, that, the creating that environment where we are honest with our teams when we have made a mistake, I think has really created a, uh, it's created a culture of trust, not perfect, but it's created a culture of trust. So, you know, again, it's one area of our game we'll never get 100% right, but I, I, I believe our crews do a remarkable job. The consistent games on the weekend this season with the five Mountain 7 Eastern on Saturday and Sunday seem to have uh, resulted in some pretty nice ratings for the Canadian Football League on television that must be making you feel pretty good at this point. Yeah, I, it, it has been. Look, uh, our TV ratings have gone up every week uh, since week one. Uh, what's been incredibly exciting is that our is that our twenty five to fifty four demo is up almost twenty six percent year over year. That's the demo that the uh, sponsors and the advertisers look for and they love. So that's a huge success for us this year. But, you know, going back to the schedule, I, I think all the credit, literally all the credit goes to our presidents. And when we entered into a dialogue with them about scheduling, they threw they threw in front of us some very interesting ideas and they were willing to try some new things. The Sunday concept, as an example, um, they were willing to try that. And, and again, credit to a group of professionals who really want to move the league forward and are thinking creatively about potential solutions. So I, I think, yes, hey, ratings and and scheduling and officiating, and I could go on and on, are just a handful of the many reasons why we're really excited about what's, uh, what's happening this year in the CFL. Now, I, I do have to ask you, it's been a big conversation uh, point among CFL fans and would-be fans or people that want to engage with the game. The new uh, stat system that uh, was to be put into place, uh, obviously probably hoping for week one or even the preseason, that, that has to be probably a disappointing uh, area with you. Um, what has gone on there? Are, are we getting close to having a full stat system for the CFL? Yeah, well, uh Travis, just uh, just yesterday, we had a meeting with the chief operating officer from Genius, a really, really strong partner of ours. And, you know, we expressed our disappointment. We had a really honest and forthright discussion about where we are. The, the truth is, it has been frustrating. And there's been more than a few times I've, uh, you know, I've, I've gone home having kicked my, you know, kicked my, uh, my desk. Uh, but I remind myself, A, they are committed to making sure that we get this fixed as quickly as we can. And that's what came out of yesterday's conversation. No, no equivocation, no excuses, just how do we get this done as quickly as we can? The other side of this is this is exactly what we needed to do. We need to reach into the future. This platform that we have now put ourselves on 
is about the future. It's about all the things that our fans have asked us for. How do we create more opportunities to engage more fans? And that means new technologies. And whenever you're talking about new technologies and you're, you know, you're going from an older system that had some limitations to a big system that has open doors and open windows and, and, uh, and, and, and tremendous capacity for us to grow into. It's about uh, connecting it to our broadcast augmentation ambitions. It's about creating ways for young fans to be super engaged because our stats are not just numbers, but they have the capacity to, you know, to really engage a young fan with exciting new ways of thinking about the game. It's about chipping our football and then using that chip football to give our fans information about the game that they'd never seen before. In order to get to that, we had to take a big, bold step. And I know, frankly, Travis, there's some good arguments for, well, we could have just waited, you know, another year or two and, and stayed on the old platform. But how do you make the big change if you're stuck in the old world? And, uh, you know, again, this will be a conversation we'll have with our governors, as, as I think we are accustomed to do now. You know, we do have good and thorough and honest debriefing sessions where we look at, you know, decisions we've made. I know there'll be some fair and, uh, let's say, pointed feedback uh, as it relates to this particular element. But this was a change made to make sure we are hitting that future opportunity head on. And, and you know, one of the things I am heartened by when I travel the country and I spend a lot of time in CFL cities visiting with CFL fans, they want this league to reach its full potential. They really do. And you, you're smiling because I know you know that's true. Yeah, yeah. And in order for me and for my colleagues to deliver that, we have to take some chances. We have to be bold. We have to, we have to look way into the future and, and, and not play from behind, but play ahead. And that, Trevor, takes making some, uh, that takes making some changes that are not always uh, easily implemented. And, you know, so again, to any fan who has been inconvenienced by this year's stats um, rollout, I, I for them, I, I, I'm not going to be glib and not diminish their frustration. But I would say to that same fan, I'll bet you they're the same fan that wants to see this league climb new mountains and uh, conquer, you know, conquer new challenges. And for them, I would say this is this platform will help us to do that. And therefore, uh, it's been worth some of the short-term pain to get to a lot of long-term gain. A uh, chipped football makes me think about maybe having the exact number on a velocity of a football thrown down the field by Zach Kolaris or the exact speed of Mario Alford returning one to the house. I, I think that presents some pretty cool opportunities. Um, with this new stat system and with the partnership with Genius Sports, and you talk about the ratings being up with that 25 to 54 demographic, what other things will be able to engage that key demographic and maybe even some uh, new Canadians uh, to get interested in the CFL, engaged in the CFL, and obviously in the stands and enjoying our great game. Yeah. So, you know, again, that fan engagement strategy is exactly what genius that's, you know, at the heart of our relationship with them, that's what it is. It's about all the various tools and it's the, the various free to play games. It's the, it's all of how you connect your system 
to these ways of getting somebody to come in, maybe not the traditional way, maybe they come in a different way, but get them interested in the game. So what it is, it's about looking at multiple ways of, of creating interest amongst new fans. But you have to connect that to a system that has that kind of long-term potential. Because otherwise, you're just you're just beating up the same old system Trying to get, you know, it's like trying to get uh, Randy Ambrosi offensive lineman to play wide out. It's just not going to happen, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I personally thought it was a great idea back in the day. <laughs> but of course. It, but it's, not a, it's not an unfair equivalent. No matter how hard you try, you can't take me and turn me into something I'm not. In, um, in the case of this platform, it has uh, it has all of those capabilities that we can then target different demographics and say what would they be interested in what what has genius's experience been in in targeting a uh, a new community at the community of newer citizens a community of younger citizens a community of older citizens they have all those capabilities but again the 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 point we've been making all along is if you want to do those things you can't be trying to turn a um, you know uh, an old offensive lineman into a wideout. You have to have the system that has wideouts and slotbacks and and offensive linemen and running backs and quarterbacks and and defensive linemen and linebacker. You have to have a system that has all of those parts, and that's what the genius system. That's what it does, and that's what it has. Will this help? Uh make our players stars and make them more known. I, I see people bring up marketing and the, of the players, and we know that the, the turnover in the league, sometimes even for the most diehard of fans, can get crisscrossed and wondering who's playing for this year with the one-year contracts and things like that. Uh, are, are there ways that we're going to be able to promote our players even more so uh, even the casual observer knows who's making those plays on the field? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, Travis. And again, I'd point to that technology having nearly unlimited potential. So, but you step back from that for a moment, you say, look, there were some structural changes that we made. And this goes now speaks to why the relationship with our player association partners was so important. In this last uh, CBA, which is now, a, you know, was a seven-year seven year arrangement. It actually created opportunities for more roster stability. So it created opportunities for guaranteed contracts, as an example. And it was just as as a as an example. It it's designed to reward players to stay in their communities longer and and be rewarded for that longevity and loyalty. There there were everywhere we've turned, we tried to take these issues that we knew were. Um, concerns for our fans and we tried to turn them into solutions and the thing is when you're bargaining with your partners you don't always agree on everything and sometimes you have to make compromises you know we don't get 100 percent of what we want and they don't get 100 percent of what they want but that's what bargaining is all about uh, but we've done some really good things in terms of roster stability and i think we're starting to see that you know you, you look if you watch the bomber game last night you see a roster that's been held together uh, you know, pretty consistently now for several seasons. And, you know, kudos to them. You know, they, they've done such a good job and our, and all of our teams are doing a better job of that. But then you go back to technology. Some of the systems that we now have available to us are an ability for our players to use the social media world to tell their story and to be able to, you know, use 
our um, highlights and clips to be able to show the fans just, you know, some of the big moments that they have in there, you know, in, in, in game action. So again, Travis, this stuff, this thing we're talking about is designed at its core to do all of those things. It is about finding ways to reach new audiences, but that's not the old way of reaching them. It's gotta be the new way. You know, we look at how far the social media world has come and how important it is in the overall messaging of society. And a lot of what this system is designed to do is allow us access into that social media world and give our players and our teams and our league an opportunity to tell the story better. So again, it's different than it was, but it's way more powerful than anything we've ever had in our past. I do want to ask you about quarterbacks. It seems to be a discussion among almost everyone across Canada. And I think maybe a lot of the stuff is out of anybody's control. Injuries happen on the field. Uh, and some of them, they, <laughs> it just looks like bad luck. You, you can't really prevent, you know, some of these ruptured Achilles and things like that. Uh, what can the CFL do to attract talented quarterbacks uh, lure them away from the other guys and uh, keep them playing in Canada. So we have, uh, it's the most, they touch the ball every play and the quarterback teams know that fans know that. How do we keep these amazing quarterbacks and attract new ones to the CFL? Well, in fact, Travis, I think you have to take a step back first before you, uh, before we uh, uh, really start the conversation to say, look, we've already doing that. You know, you you look at this young quarterback in Ottawa that came up from nothing, came up from nowhere. We didn't know who he was. And he gets an opportunity, and all of a sudden there's an overtime victory, and then there's another huge finish, and this young man is just like shooting the lights out. And he's making us he's making us excited. That's been the history of our league going back for many decades is that somebody has to come out for somebody to go in. And that's when your new stars are born. And we're seeing some of those uh, stories emerge this year, just as we have over the decades. So number one is we shouldn't think that somehow this isn't working. It's working. The question is, how do we make it work better? Mm. So uh, it, that's the conversation that I'd be prepared to have, mm. is you know not to suggest that somehow it's a broken system and it's not working at all, it's actually a good system, but it could be better. And this is why what uh, we've, we've done is set the wheels in motion to start an off-season conversation as mm-hmm. we have had in the past with our, with our presidents, our GMs, and our coaches to say, what are we missing that we could do differently, that we could do more of, that we could, you know, that will serve to, you know, help to develop more, uh, you know, more star quarterbacks in the league. So, again – it's it's a system that has served us well over many decades. It has made we've made changes over time, but I think there's clearly an opportunity to keep pushing the envelope, and that's what we're focused on. Finally, uh, just a couple more. I want to ask you maybe if there's going to be an off season discussion on the operations cap in the CFL. I understand uh, things are emotional. There's a lot of uh, upset fans in Edmonton. Um, 21 home losses in a row, the record that no fan base really wants. And they, fans and others believe that 
they should be able to make a change where they want in the football operations cap and not be handcuffed with uh, sort of that financial liability going forward. Is there going to be any room for discussion on this in the off season going forward? You know, interestingly enough, there always is. We we go into every we go into every you know kind of fall with the idea that we have to review these programs and we have to talk to the teams. So there is a consultation happening right now between uh, our head of football operations, Greg Greg Dick, and all the teams to really kind of seek feedback and solicit input. You know, one of the one of the realities of the implementation of the non-player cap was a massive concern from the player association that they were seeing that element of our game growing dramatically. So it was the fastest growing expense category in the league. Um, you know, the size of coaching, coaching staffs was growing. The number and, and uh, the amount of money we spent in that area was growing. And, and the players I think felt, wow, like, you know, we're not seeing the same kind of growth in our own incomes as uh, as we're seeing in the non-player football area. And so we, you know, what we wanted to do is to create an equitable structure so that everyone could do well. And as we grow the league, everyone can do better. One thing I know for sure is as soon as you put a program into place, there's going to be a flaw in it, you know, no matter how hard you try. Because again, yeah. you're trying to you know, you're trying to satisfy a lot of different concerns. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to be a responsible partner to the players, for example. You want to show a tremendous respect for our non-player uh, personnel, for our, you know, GMs and our coaches and our scouts and our, you know, our trainers and our equipment staffs. They're, these are remarkable people. There's not a single one of them that you don't, you know, you, you would have any, you'd have any desire to disrespect. But you're trying to walk a fine line. So there's a review underway right now. And there's conversations taking place amongst all the teams to really, you know, kind of to get that feedback. This has been a cornerstone of how we tried to operate is people would tend to think of the league as uh, as a single entity decision making body. It's really not. Uh, mm. the, the league is a place where we gather information from within our from within our teams. We gather information from around the world of sports and then we and then we and then we analyze all that information and then we present what we think is an option based on that feedback and and then we seek input from our teams so again this isn't a unilateral you know we've just kind of done this draconian um we put this draconian program into place and clearly you know i don't want any team disadvantaged in their ability to win football games not at all but we have a we have a long term goal on building something together that works for everyone, that creates that long term success as a league that everyone wants us. You know, and we we've got so much momentum now. You look at putting in place a um, a revenue sharing plan, a seven year CBA with the player, longest collective bargaining agreement in the league's history, uh, the partnership with Genius, and all of the opportunities that that will create. I look at how we operate today. We're almost a completely different business than the one we were six years ago, mm-hmm. but we still have work to do. And so, you know, for every positive step you make, something has to be adjusted when you're, when you're all said and done. But again, not, we're not tone deaf. We certainly know there are those frustrations out there and we'll do our level best to address them, uh, you know, annually as, as we are looking at that right now. 
I'll ask you just one more question. Uh, this year marks the 30th anniversary of Edmonton's 1993 Grey Cup win. Uh, what do you remember about that season? Oh, you know, so, so many things. You know, again, I, I for me, I end up, uh, almost inevitably, I end up thinking about Coach Lancaster mm. and all that he meant to me. And uh, it was a season that I, I got hurt uh uh, you know, I got hurt. You know, I guess about the midpoint of the season, I had had uh, I'd had a, a wonky knee at that point. I'd had uh, ACL and MCL reconstructions, and I got hurt playing in Toronto and um, was facing the prospect of of having surgery and maybe retiring and and walking away from the game. And it was Coach Lancaster that encouraged me to uh, to stay away from the surgery and focus on rehab because he he you know in a in a conversation that I'll never forget he talked about the his view that if I could play we'd have a real shot at winning the Grey Cup what an ins- what an inspiration uh, he was to me and and to my teammates and I'll I'll never be able to repay the kindness that uh, Coach Ron showed me and then. Um, coming back off that injury for me and we went on a run we had a you know we had a we had a lot of um, we had a lot of success and and then into the playoffs and that game in Calgary and that snowstorm you'll you know that's another unforgettable moment and then going back to Calgary sitting in my sitting in my original locker for my rookie season in 85 and uh, and then when it probably the moment there's two moments candidly that I'll never forget is on the field after we had won and seeing my uh, seeing my family walking onto the field uh and my and my wife barb and and my dad my um my three brothers all walking onto the field and i i can't i just started to cry like it was like uh knowing that my mom was at home watching on tv and my my dad and my wife and my brothers were there you'll never forget that moment right because that's like a but the one that stands out was being in the locker room at the end uh, and everyone had left. And I, and and I knew I was, I knew I was going to retire. So I didn't want to take off my stuff. So I sat in my locker for a long time, just taking it all in. And it was coach Lancaster that came uh, out of the coaching area and sat next to me. And we just talked and uh, talked about what we had done together and what we had done with all those remarkable teammates of ours it's a conversation that I could probably I could probably recount almost word for word because it was that important to me at the time. Again, you know, those are the memories that uh, that never leave you. And um, I, I'm I'd like to, I'd like to think that I carry I carry a little bit of Coach Ron around uh, with me every day. The way he the way he treated people was quite remarkable. And and again, for that, I'll never I'll never be able to repay that kindness. And I think about him. Uh, I think about him all the time and, and the, and the remarkable impact. And then, you know, lastly, your teammates, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you, you can't help, but just think about what it's like. You, you know, you, you, you just spend so much time together and, you know, to this day, I, I've got a wonderful friendship with, uh, you know, with Blake Dermott and, and Rod Connup. I just saw Rod, you know, this, um, uh, this summer in Edmonton and and there's so many more and you think gosh that those those are you know those are relationships that you hope will will last for the rest of your life those are some special memories thank you for sharing that now you present the great cup every November so yeah that's a full circle moment uh Commissioner Randy Ambrosi thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this week and hey good luck the rest of the season 
Thanks very much, and best wishes to you and all of your uh, and all of your listeners. And uh, look, it's a, we had a lot of great things going on. It's a it's a league on the move, and all of it in the right direction. Best wishes to everybody. Let's let's have a let's have an amazing finish to the 2023 season. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.